Welcome to On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge, powered by Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, Rapid SOS is sharing critical data with 911 to help first responders like myself get the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become Rapid SOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit rapidsos.com today. Now on with the show. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. I am wicked excited to highlight the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources for public safety. Currently, I am the Public Safety Community Engagement Manager at Rapid SOS. With 24 years in public safety, I am truly honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of new technology, out-of-the-box thinking, and mental health support services to save lives on both sides of the call. Welcome to part one of episode four, and my guest today is Mark Swiderski. Mark is the executive director of the Lake County, Indiana 911 Center. I'm looking forward to chatting with Mark on a whole bunch of different topics in the 911 space. First, we'll start off with his recent life-saving actions outside the 911 Center because he was in the right place at the right time. We're going to talk about how his team is accepting and utilizing new technology to help them better do their jobs inside the 911 center, and that's including using the Rapid SOS portal and um, any integrations that they have in their center. And then we're going to talk about the importance of getting involved with APCO and Nina and how it can benefit your career at many levels. So let's get started. Mark, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, how are you today? I'm doing well, Tracy. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. So um, I'm very excited to talk to you. We have lots of things to go over. So many amazing things are going on for you. Uh, but I just kind of want to let folks know who you are in your, your own words. So my first question to you is, how did you get involved in public safety? I always love hearing the story about how folks landed here in this profession. It did, was 911 your original goal or did you start off somewhere else and you ended up here? Tell me about you and how you got here in public safety. All right. Well, so I, I try to tell my trainees this uh, after they get hired to give them an idea. I think everybody, it's important that uh, life experience really does speak volumes to people. People from different walks of life see things a little differently. For me, I wanted to be uh, a police officer. I was actually going to school to be a police officer. 9-11 uh, had just occurred and saw, actually my wife, my girlfriend at the time, saw a posting in the newspaper when they still did that, and <laughs> said that um, that they were testing for 911 dispatchers in uh, a village that I was uh, I actually lived in, in Hazelcrest, Illinois. And I signed up, I went to the testing, and again, I said it was right after 9-11, it was really amazing how many people tested. I think they had over 700 people test just to be on the list. Wow. And it got to a point, they had, uh, they had us all in a school uh, gymnasium, but they had to actually put some people in the local, in the hospital right near the area, uh, another area. They actually had to like move people to different locations to test everyone. So uh, I, I test, 
I'm, I think I'm number 10 on the list. And I'm like, well, that's not going to be a thing. So uh, <laughs> my dad's a mechanic. My, my grandfather's a mechanic. I, um, I was working as a mechanic and I get the phone call I still, while still going to school. And they said, are you still interested in being a, a dispatcher? And I said, yes, I am. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity to start learning public safety. And uh, I took the position. Um, and from there, I just, uh, we consolidated from a single agency using punch cards and, um, you know, one on a staff. For those of you who don't know what punch cards are, those are little pieces of cardboard that we would write everything down on and then stick it into a machine to let us know what time we got the call, what time we dispatched it, what time they got there and what time it was completed. It was, it was such a fascinating piece of equipment. So I'm laughing because that is exactly how I started off as a baby dispatcher. And our technical punch card was literally like a time clock, like one that you would punch in for with work and you would write everything down and go, and if you forgot it, there's no going back and fixing it. When I was able to tell that story, even maybe 10 years ago, there were some people that understood what a time clock was. Now I tell people that and they look at me funny. Yep. So uh, I was there about two years. We consolidated into a, a center, 12 agencies, six towns and cities and villages. From there, I was uh, I was asked if I would like to be a supervisor and moved up the ranks. And I kind of just never looked back at uh, being a police officer because I just, I just enjoyed it. I really took to it. And I loved every minute of it. It's not the same as being out on the street, but uh, you can touch, in my opinion, I think you can touch more people's lives in an eight hour period on the phones than, than you can sometimes even out on the street. I love the way you put that. I, I agree that, you know, dispatchers, telecommunicators, they speak to how many people in a shift when the responders are maybe only touching a very, very small amount of that. So I always like to know that key moment. It, was there an influencing moment where you said this is, I'm going to stay in the 9 side, or was it just kind of everything that was rolling forward quickly, moving up the ranks and, and you were just like, yep, this is, this is where I belong. So I caught a few breaks and um, I was very fortunate. Like I said, we consolidated into a center and you know, even to this day, I consider a lot of them my family. It was very hard for me to move on from that location. Um, they were Econ Dispatch in Holman, Illinois. I started there, uh, well, I was about 23. I was a super, uh, dispatcher for a couple of years and then a supervisor, moved up to deputy director. And when I left there about four years ago, almost to the day here, uh, I got to admit, I was kind of bawling like a little baby my last day in my office by myself because it was such a, a huge move for me. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed with everything I've done so far. And I don't think there was any one moment that told me I needed to be, or I, I, 911 was my calling. It was just, it was, it was just a culmination of a lot of different things where I was just very fortunate. Plus, I had a really good um, group of people that made me feel wanted, needed. And I think that's one of the things that's really missing in our uh, in our profession right now is, you know, that cannibalism, we see that so often. I try to talk about that even in our own center here. And it, it's just, it was just everything lined up. That's awesome. That is, that, that's awesome. Um, I love that you said cannibal, cannibalism because, yes, we talk about, you know, eating our young, the, the folks that are coming in to relieve us and allow us to be full staffed. And, and yet we tend to 
not treat them the best because it's a different generation, right? Like I know one of the things that um, I had talked about recently was even just training folks, you know, when you have folks that are training and CTOs and, and these, these younger kids are coming in and they can, they can truly move circles around us when it comes to computers and media and all that stuff. But filling in that gap of, of understanding the importance of, of being a, a good team, right. And not doing that to each other. Um, so one of the things that I like to do is I like to pick a quote um, for the folks that I interview on my podcast. I, I love quotes and I'm always about sharing them. And, and I decided like right from the get-go that I wanted to put the time in to get to know my guest and, and come up with a perfect quote for them. And yours to me was a no-brainer, especially uh, over the last couple of weeks. So the quote that I chose for you is... Next to creating a life, the finest thing a man can do is save one. And it was Abraham Lincoln that said that. And that quote is used a lot in public safety. Um, but what do you think about the fact that I chose that quote for you right now, specifically at this time in your career? You know, I uh, I think it's it's uh, it's amazing that you know you'd think of that quote for me there's a lot of people that have kind of asked me, you know, and we'll, we'll go into that a little bit about what happened over the last couple of weeks and, you know, how did it, how did it affect you? How did it change you? And for me, it was just in the right place at the right time. Um, I think there's a lot of people that would have done exactly what I did, but um, you know, I, when I read that, I think in, in my head that there are so many people that, that touch lives every day. You know, I, I try to talk to people, especially trainees. I say, you, you will, make a difference in people's lives every day. It could be something as small and, and what some people deem in, insignificant as somebody calling about a barking dog and getting that dog to, uh, you know, sending an officer over there to you know, dog to bark and so they get a good night's sleep. And then maybe the next day they do better at their job and it helps them, you know, move up in their ranks. If you think of it from that aspect, I really think that we, we can do so much more and, and maybe not let everything weigh us down in our profession, you know, we deal with, especially over the last couple of months, a lot of changes in our lives, you know, as a whole, and even our industry, we've had to ask additional questions and do some things that quite frankly, I don't think any of us were ever, uh, ever anticipated having to do, you know, whether it be phone calls or, you know, reports over the phone or getting all this additional information for first responder safety and, and having to throw it at our dispatchers. I think that's something that people just really aren't realizing is, the amount of information that we've had to throw at our dispatchers, to telecommunicators, to call takers, to um, to help meet the needs of this pandemic, you know, we we lose that sometimes. We we get lost in that in, in the work and the um, you know the the, the uh, different plans that we have to put in place, whether it be safety of our our organization, our our staff, or the first responders, and and it gets to be a grind. And if you take a step back. You know, that's kind of why I went on vacation. I had to take a step back because I'd gone, I've been doing this for four months and, and I know so many other people that are doing that right now. And I think that's what we just need to do with all the negativity going on in the world. We just need to take a step back and, and reset ourselves and say, all right, this is why I'm doing it. This is what can happen. And, you know, yes, we deliver babies. We, you know, perform CPR over the phone, stroke diagnostic tools, things like that. But those sometimes are few and far between depending on the call volume of the center. Every day that somebody calls 911, you are helping them. 
Yeah. And you just said so much in there. And, and I'll go back to what you said about the barking dog call. How many telecommunicators get frustrated about having to handle a barking dog call? And you used it to kind of have that butterfly effect, right? Like this person is probably trying to sleep. Maybe they have a huge meeting tomorrow. They have an interview tomorrow. They have something major happening in their life tomorrow. And that barking dog is causing them to not be able to successfully execute that the next day. When I would train my folks, I would talk about that barking dog call. It's funny how we, we all go back to that barking dog call, right? Cause that's the one that drives you crazy. Um, but I talk about it as, you know, if this dog is barking, we may write it off as a telecommunication communicator and be like, oh, another barking dog call. However, did you act appropriately? Did you ask appropriate questions? Like, is this normal behavior for that dog? And, you know, when I say that to folks, they're like, well, why would you ask that? Is this normal behavior for that dog? Because what happens if their owner was out on a ladder cleaning the gutters and now that person's on the floor or on the ground because they had some type of medical emergency? So, going to work and being your best self and knowing that you can make a difference. I know that, you know, telecommunicators save lives every day from inside the center on the phone. I know you know that. And then I'm going to ask like, so one of the other things you touched on is this thing called a vacation. Um, you want to describe what that is to the folks that might be listening? Cause I don't think they take them very often. No, um, I, I think that's a lot of us have a problem with the me time. Yeah, I had a very, um, a very good colleague of mine, um, John Ferraro, about a year and a half ago. He was here training at our center, and he said, "What are you doing for you?" And I said, "Well, you know, I do this. You know, my daughter, my wife." He goes, "No, no, no. That's for your family. What yep. are you doing for you?" And it helped me at least kind of take a look at that and say, "Yeah, if you don't do stuff for yourself, it really does." eat on you and it weighs on you and it you know i know that you and you and ryan discussed you know leaving the center uh that definitely creates some burnout one hundred percent mechanism in some way shape or form to to release yeah so you um so you went on vacation recently that vacation and i i laugh as you're sitting here preaching about doing for yourself but originally that vacation was work related was it not yeah, so uh, at the um, in the beginning of August here, there was the plan for the, uh, the National APCO Conference in Orlando. Uh, what my wife and I had discussed uh, about eight to ten months ago was possibly going to Orlando the week before so that we could spend some time together since I'd be away for uh, several days for the conference. And um, we had planned to go to Orlando then. And then the coronavirus hit. Mm. And I'm going to be honest with you, until about four days before we were going to go, we, I, I, we were researching the, the active cases and the transmit, transmission, everything, trying to make the decision as to whether or not that was a good idea for my wife, my daughter, who's six. You know, I've had some people go, Florida, really? And I said, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to Miami and I wasn't going to nightclubs. Okay, We rented right. an Airbnb. We stayed in a townhouse, the three of us. We went to a few amusement parks, but they were doing it right too. They had a lot of good social distancing and um, you know, they were giving you hand sanitizer before and after each ride. So they, they did a phenomenal job there too, but we definitely did our research beforehand. We didn't do, haphazardly go in. 
So I am 100% convinced that everything happens for a reason. And there was a very specific reason why you and your family ended up where you did at the right place and the right time. So as I'm scrolling through Facebook, I'm, I'm all about seeing and hearing about the amazing things that folks are doing. And as I'm scrolling, I see your face big as life on, on a post. Um, no beard though. Like right now you get this beard thing going on. You look very distinguished. I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, but I see your name. I know you. I'm like, what is he up to now? And it was such an amazing post about how you saved a life on the other side of the call. So um, why don't you go ahead and tell us what, what happened, what led up to, um, it was a three-year-old ultimately that, that you had a very significant role in saving her life. So would love to hear how that all transpired. Sure. So Tracy, you're... you're your statement of everything that happens for a reason definitely um, resonates with me, especially on this particular situation. So my wife, my daughter, and I, we were at, um, earlier in the day, we were at Universal Studios. And every day of our trip before that, it had rained a little bit in the afternoon. And those of you that are in um, Florida understand when it rains, it cools down. We're from the Midwest. We get a lot of humidity, but we're not used to that direct sunlight, heat, all that stuff. So when that day rolls around, it was Thursday, the, uh, the 30th, we are at Universal and it doesn't rain and it gets so hot. It's about 105, the feel like is like 105, 110. We're all wearing masks, so that makes it even better. And, you know, my daughter's like, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of getting over this. You, you know, we could tell that we look at each other and it's about maybe 4.30. We're like, all right, we'll leave early because the park doesn't usually close till like six yeah. um, on that day. So we go ahead, um, you know, we start, we were planning on staying till six. But we leave about five, we get back to the, um, to our room, our, our townhouse, and we go, all right, how about we, you know, my daughter's like, we haven't gone swimming yet. And this is the last night that we're going to be there. She's like, you haven't gone swimming with us, dad. Uh, mom, mom and I have, but you haven't. I said, all right, oh, fine. I'm, get, I'm so getting we goosebumps as you're talking because I know where the story is going. And, and the fact that you were not swimming during the week and now you are. All right, keep going, my friend. So, um, so we're all still really warm from the park. We decide to relax on the, um, you know, just on the couch, watching some TV for about 20, 25 minutes. And my daughter goes, all right, I really want to go swimming. So I said, all right, fine. You know what we do for our kids. I said, no problem. So we get our swim trunks on swimsuits. We get to the pool and we're there about maybe 10, 15 minutes. My daughter's playing with a couple of the other children, you know, throwing a ball back and forth, things like that. And um, I think when the ball hits the water and it gets in my wife's eye and my wife's starting to rub her eye and she's going to go out of the pool to go check on her contacts. Well, as she's getting out of the pool, she looks to the side a little bit and there's a child that's laying um, face down up against what would look, what would appear like maybe laying on some steps. So my daughter, my, my wife gets my attention and she points that way and I kind of see it out of the corner of my eye and, and I just, it doesn't look like a child playing because, you know, sometimes, you know, we do the, hey, how long can I hold my breath sort of thing or, um, you know, maybe just laying there. And I'm like, she doesn't look right. So I rush over there. And as I'm grabbing her, she's limp. She's not moving. So I turn around and I go and I, I just make an announcement. I go, whose child is this? Because the last thing you want to do in this day and age, is just grab a child and start putting your hands on them. <laughs> true story. Sadly, so, true story. So um, I hear a scream, uh, what, what I could only assume was the mom at the time, and then somebody else. And then I go, okay, at least I have their attention. 
so from there, there, like I said, there were these, these two steps and they're, they're not steps that you'd walk out of the pool per se there. You know, my daughter was actually jumping off of one of those steps when we had first gotten in the pool to, you know, keep jumping in and out. It was about maybe three, three, three and a half feet deep. So I put the, the child, a little girl who's just, her head's fallen back. She's not responsive at all. I can tell what I need to do on that particular scenario. She's, she's unresponsive. So I put her down right next to the pool and then I don't even jump out of the pool. I just put my foot onto one of those steps and then I start doing compressions. And as I'm doing compressions, I can see that the water's starting to come out of her lungs. And I said, okay, this is, this is what I need to do right now. So I start doing, I'm counting to like maybe 20. In that time, my wife's yelling for somebody to call 911. The family starts gathering. And then there's about a group of 20 people, not socially distancing, by the way, um, around her. And at that moment, you know, and I've said this before, I don't think anybody thinks about social distancing and no. coronavirus. Like all that goes out the window. It's, no. about, it's about that child especially when it's a child, like an, an adult, a human being in general, life needs to be more important than, than what, what else is going on. But especially a child, everybody kind of throws it out the window. Well, and we always so talk about scene safety, oh. right? So like in this moment to you, and, and that's what happens to us, like those of us that are responders on the other side, it's, yeah, we totally get the scene safety thing. But when you're in that safe mode, you're, you're, you're not going to be looking for, for those things. So yeah, go ahead. And and I wasn't, I was, you know, I was just starting to count and I was going through my training. So I take the same training as everybody else here on the staff. Uh, I think it's important as, um, as a leader for an organization that you're in those same types of uh, those trainings, if you can, because it helps show number one, that you're invested, that also it's important to you as much as them. So I'm certified in CPR. I'm also certified through the International Academy of Emergency Dispatch, EMD, EFD, EPD. Um, which I think kind of helped me. I was talking to them about a week ago and I said, Hey, your protocols, I kind of, I remember them a bit and started using them and there, and, uh, it was John Stones. He's like, that's awesome, man. And I said, yeah, I, I think it's really, it, it helps show people, you know, the people that, cause sometimes those classes can be really draining. Right. Like, you know, what am I going to use this for on the phones? And some people that are even, you know, iffy about whether or not they want this to be a career, they go, you know, what, what is this, what is this going to benefit me? And then to be able to tell people, yeah, I was able to use it in practice, you know, off of memory, some of those things, I, I think it can really show value in those, in those trainings. So I'm doing the compressions and um, a woman walk, runs up to us. She kneels down and she goes, I'm a nurse. She goes, all right, let's flip her over. So she flips her over onto um, where she, now the, the child's facing me and she's doing some thrusts under her back to get some more of the water out. Well, I told you I didn't get out of pool. So that vantage point allowed her to basically relieve all of that water onto me. Well, at least <laughs> so you're still the in the water pool. starting to come out. Yeah, so I was still in the pool. The chlorine saved me, I guess. Yeah. So the, the water's starting to get out. And then we, uh, we put her on her side. And we're still trying to get some more of that water out. Um, by that time, somebody's on 911. But the problem here is they're on 911. And they're about the probably maybe 10 feet away from us behind a crowd talking and then they start yelling at us put put her on her back and we were already past that particular part of that scenario right. where we already started giving cpr we were getting the water out as we were putting on her side her eyes were starting to flutter so uh, i remember when the nurse first ran up she goes does she have a pulse and all i could think was i have a hard time finding a pulse in an adult let alone a child Right. I'm not right. trained for that one. Right. Um, so she, she checks for a pulse. She's like, all right, she has a pulse. So we're, we're you know, feeling good about that situation. And then, um, then as they started telling us about putting her on her back, 
then we have some more people in the peanut gallery. You got to give her breaths. You got to give her air. Give her your air. And I think it's important for us to stay um, with the times with our training too, because maybe 10 years ago, that was of the utmost importance. Right, our studies right. are showing providing that, that carbon dioxide to them is not going to do it. Well, and it's hard so, for you to explain that too to somebody who's kind of yelling this to you in that moment. Did you tell folks that you were a trained responder, like that, that you had training in this at that point, or were they just trying to kind of shout what they, what they know? Did you tell them? They were shouting what they know. You know, when I first started this, I just kind of got in the mode of this is what I needed to do with the child. And I was not, my energy was on the child, not on trying to prove to people whether or not I knew what right, I was doing. Right. Um, when they started telling us about the, you know, putting her on her back and then people were really starting to get frustrated when we weren't listening to them. I hop out of the pool and I go, listen, I work in 911. They're trying to give you good information, but the information you're providing them is old. You, you can't see your vantage point is behind the nurse who's also providing some of these, these things. All that you know is that she is a girl who we found in the pool. You don't know right. what we're doing here. And I think, you know, I'm trying to bring, I'm trying to figure out a way to make that, um, a, a good conversation for my staff. And then, you know, maybe if I go out and, and talk to people is, you know, we get so frustrated when the call taker or when the caller isn't answering our questions or if they're not um, doing what we're asking them to do. And there are times where they just don't have good information when it's third, fourth party like that. It's really hard to ascertain what's happening in that exact moment and the delay too, between cell phones and relaying the information, all of that creates this, this delay. So, so her eyes are starting to flutter and um, and we're starting to see at least some movement from her. And that, that's a good thing. As I said, I was, I was still in the process of trying to get out of the pool. The ambulance gets there and um, the nurse grabs her, rushes her to the ambulance. I'm getting out of the pool and then I look over to the to my to where my, my wife and my daughter are and my wife and my daughter's crying. And I'm like, oh boy. Okay, so now I got to go into dad mode. So yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, I know when we talked a little bit about this, you had asked, you know, when did your adrenaline go down? And I... I've tried to think about that. I don't know if it ever went up. Like I just got in the mode. Like we do that. I tell people, you know, a lot of the times, especially our new trainees, I say, you know, this is kind of what happens with the job. You deal with a call and then you kind of put it in a box, if you will. You put it on the side because your next call's happening. On yeah. this one, that's kind of exactly what happened. I just relayed back to my training and what I've done for years. I had that situation happen. I turned, I saw my daughter. Okay, now it's my now daughter. moving on to the next one. It's just like in the center. Yeah. You didn't have time to decompress. You move right on to taking care of the next person, which happened to be your daughter. Yeah, so she's uh, she's crying a little bit. And I'm like, hey, honey, how's it going? Are, you know, are we okay? She goes, is she going to be okay? I said, I don't know yet. It's not in our hands anymore. I said, but we did everything we could to make sure that she had a fighting chance. And as I'm talking to her, I get a yell from the, from the front of the area where the ambulance is. And they said, they need you. So of course I just jet right back over there. I'm bouncing back and forth like we do in the center. <laughs> yeah. And sounds like. uh, I get over there and they go, how long was she down? And I said, I, I don't know how long she was down. I'll put it under three minutes, I think, because from the time that she was in that area to the time I looked back and it was a fairly large pool that we were in, you know, for people, they're like, well, how could this happen? I mean, it was a large pool. People were trying to social distance the best they could because of everything. And I said, I, I think it's under three minutes, but I'm not sure. I'm like, how's she doing? They said, well, we airlifted her. And then the, the deputy pulls me to the side and goes, there's a hospital right down the way here, but they decided to airlift her. And I was like, okay, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing right, right now. Right, right. 
And he's like, hey, I need you to provide a, um, uh, a statement as to what you saw. So I'm starting to write all that down. And he's like, I have an idea. And I'm like patting my, my, my wet swim trunks. And I go, I don't have one of those right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, I write down everything. I see the family there. I go, what? Um, I hope that, that she does well. Uh, let us know if you need anything, you know, that kind of thing. Cause she, you know, the, the mom was just, just in a wreck. She was obviously, a rightfully, I can't even imagine yeah. how I'd be if that was my daughter. So uh, I get back, I'm walking back towards to see how my daughter and my wife are doing. And then I come across two women that are starting to yell at one another. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what just happened right now? So one saying to the other one, something to the effect of, I care about that kid too. And they're not part of the family. I can guarantee you that. And I'm just thinking to myself, what's going on here? And, and I come up to him and I go, what's the problem here? She's like, she doesn't think I cared about that girl. And I'm like, I think everybody cared about that girl. Yeah. You know, we all did everything we could here. And as I, I kind of walked past, I thought I'd defuse the situation. One of the women grabs a chair and is about to like throw it either at her or the pool or something. I go, hey, everybody needs to calm down. And about that time, I could tell, you know, one of them was slurring her speech. So I said, okay, maybe we're not all in our right mind right now, but just, go back to your room, right? None of us can do anything more for this right now. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, when did I become a referee on top of a lifeguard? So uh, I get Again, over back over to my wife. the roles of the telecommunicator, right? You're literally going from one profession to another, psychiatrists, you know, all these different roles. And you're doing it all standing in your swim trunks in the middle of a Florida hotel. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely something interesting, but I, you know, when I, when I bid them adieu and told them to go their own separate ways, you know, I was back to seeing my wife and my daughter and I said, all right, I gotta go back to that now. That's, that's my priority. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I wish that I, you know, at that moment when I pulled that girl out, I didn't really think about the ramifications of what would happen because after thinking about it for a couple hours, I said, okay, looks like I'm getting a, a COVID test when I get back home. And then, you know, I'm yep. worried about, you know, giving it to my family and stuff. And that's, that's after the fact. And, and I can't even imagine the, uh, you know, the police officers, the uh, paramedics, the firefighters that do that day in and day out and think about their families and, you know, the cost that it does, that it, that it is for the, for their families, maybe the stress it puts on. You know, I, that was a, a very lengthy conversation my wife and I had, you know, when I was going to be a police officer and then I ultimately decided to stay in the 911 field was, you know, that, she even said, I'd be able to sleep better at night if you're, you know, a little more, a little safer. And I think that sometimes we forget that, how much people have had to endure from the essential workers out there that are growing in day in and day out to stock shelves or to assist with, uh, you know, food preparation, all of those things that happen. You know, we're putting our families' lives just as much at risk as our own when we go out and could possibly get infected. So. I get back over to my wife and my daughter and my daughter's still, you know, pretty upset. And I go, honey, it's going to be okay. And, and she's going to kill me for saying this because, because she says this wasn't true at the time. She was just really sad, but she turns to me and she goes, but we weren't able to swim because they closed <laughs> off the pool by then. And uh, I mean, she's sick. So everybody listening right. to this going, Oh my gosh, she's six, everybody. But um, I go, honey, it's okay. We have pools by our house and everything. We have the why we'll, we'll be okay. And she's like, yeah, but I really wanted to swim with you. And we weren't able to swim. And I was like, honey, sometimes there are some other things in life that are a little more important. And um, you know, by that time, my wife, she, um, I can tell that she's emotional too. And I go, what's going on? And she's like, you know, I saw her before that. I go, what do you mean you saw her? She goes, I saw her 
right, right, you know, before I got your attention, I go, how long are we talking? She goes, a couple seconds. I go, honey, a couple seconds isn't right. going to do it. I thought she was playing. I go, a lot of people would probably think she was playing. Yeah. She, you know, the way that she was, she was, uh, the way she looked, you could see her as playing. But I said, honey, three or four seconds isn't going to matter in this scenario. Yeah. It was three or four minutes. You, you feel better about that. But, um, you, you know, it, everything happened. So, she posts something on social media that day about, you know, my endeavors. And I'm, I'm the type of guy that like, even doing this, I just feel kind of icky. I don't know why um, words of affirmation are not my deal. I yeah. just, uh, I do what I'm supposed to. And I think there are a lot of people that are like that. And, um, so my wife puts that out there and I, I you know, I'm seeing a lot of good things and all I kept telling people is I'm was in the right place at the right time. I don't want to, I don't think I'm any better for doing what I did than what, you know, a lot of people have, have had to do, you know, all those nurses and doctors, you know, on the front lines to the first responders, you know, and the firefighters running into buildings and chasing, uh, you know, bad people. I don't think I'm any better than anybody else. And I, I guess that's kind of why, uh, you know, my, my wife puts that out there and then it goes to a few people that I know through Nina. And then the next day I get a text because the next day I'm packing, I'm going back home and, and somebody sends me a text, uh, Ty Wooten, he goes, don't kill me. And I go, what are you talking about? And then I look and I go, could you use the worst picture? Like, like that picture is so bad. Like I went, I was teaching, um, instructing a couple, uh, about a month before the pandemic. And I literally had one of the women come up to me and she goes, if you'd like, I'll do your headshots for you because that really is a bad picture. I go, oh, I'm clear. It's a bad picture. Uh, I think it was a great picture. I think you looked very professional. Um, you know, there were a couple of things that that you touched on there. Um, and, and one was the training, right? Like, I, I know you well enough now to know that you're going to take this opportunity and you're going to bring it and turn it into a lesson in the 9-1 center. And, and that is huge. You know, I'm thinking back to calls that I dealt with in the center where, you know, if if it was a situation like that, a drowning or or something major, and you as the telecommunicator are trying to get this information to them, but you talked about getting good information and bad information and, you know, where they are in that particular process. And again, it goes back to the dispatcher to not have the frustration that they're not getting the answers that they want or the answers that they need to, to kind of take care of this situation um so i think i so we've joked in the past about being different personalities and you said you know words are of affirmation are are not your thing um and you know that i i thoroughly enjoy the disc profile and you know i'm an i so if you did say something kind to me like that it would fill me up and make me feel better and you know you've made it clear in the past that you think you're a d which you know, D personalities don't necessarily need that, those words of affirmation. But I, I would hope that at this point, you know, that what you did was, was really a big deal, right? And that um, there are so many things that have been put in place to be successful for, for what you did that day. And, and your daughter will realize at some point, like, you know, when she looks back and it's like, Oh, like I, when I was her age, I was at Disney world and I ended up with stitches like right here in my head. Cause I was jumping up and down in the pool and I have a girl's teeth marks in my forehead. Um, and your daughter's going to look back on this someday and she's going to, she's going to truly remember what happened, um, in the significant role you played and, and you'll be the hero for, for saving a life and not being the zero for 
for not swimming with your daughter that day at the pool. <laughs> um, have you communicated with the family? Like, did, did you, were you able to stay in contact? Cause, cause I know the folks that are listening. All right. I should have said this before, but she is okay. Right. The, the three-year-old is okay. And she's recovering. Um, right. Right. That's where yeah, we're at so, today. Uh, okay. I, missed, I apologize. That was probably the end of the story about, um, so we get back to the, ho- to the, to the townhouse and, um, I go, okay, we need to eat dinner. And like, I just, that's where I was. I was like, all right, we, we task oriented, you know, yeah, we yeah. go through the motions. So I went and picked up dinner. We ate dinner. Um, we relaxed on the couch and that's when my wife kind of did that post sort of thing. Um, and then about an hour or two after that, so about maybe 12, 1230 Eastern time at night. And the deputy calls me and or texts me. No, he called me first. He called me and he said, Hey, I just want to give you an update on the, on the, the child. I go, yeah, how's it going? How's she doing? He goes, well, she's already been released from the, from the hospital and she's, uh, she was released a couple hours ago. Well, that's amazing. He goes, they believe she's going to make a full recovery. Awesome. Said, that's awesome. That's just fantastic. Cause if it, honestly, you know, when some people are like, Hey, is there going to be a news story about this or something? I said, honestly, it's just about her being okay. Her being okay is absolutely the number one priority. And I'm, I'm okay if that's the only thing that happens. But um, as far as the family goes, I have not been in contact with the family. Uh, and, and maybe that's the dispatcher in me, you know, that whole unknown, we don't know what happened sort of thing. And this one, at least I got some closure that night. Where I could right. Sleep. But, um, you know, to me, if they want to reach out, that's great. But as I said, if, if I'm not the guy that wants to hear I did a good job, I'm certainly not the guy that's going to go, hey, look at the job I did for somebody. So uh, the, the resort has reached out to me a couple times on one of them. They did thank me on behalf of the family, um, which, which made me feel good. You know, like the nice words that I see on Facebook, they make me feel good. Right. I, right. I do. So, so it's not that, I guess if, it, if I'm in a group of people and somebody's like, yeah, this guy's great. I just go, yeah, I'm not any better than anybody else. We're all our own people, but uh, yeah, she's doing good from what I hear and the family's doing better. I asked, Specifically, I said, how's the family doing? They said, you know, they're, they're dealing. They're just really happy that some people were there because it was myself and the nurse that were, you know, tending to the girl. And then somehow there's a corrections officer that was also on scene trying to tend to the, to the group of people behind us. So it was just really amazing. You know, if my daughter doesn't want to go swimming, if my wife doesn't get the ball thrown near her with the water going into her eyes, she doesn't come out of the pool and maybe we don't see that girl for a little sooner. Uh, you know, if I don't give in and say, all right, yeah, it's really hot. Let's go swimming. I, I don't know what happens. Right. So, ma- so well, many if, things. If I cancel my plans, you know, right? if I cancel my plans because of APCO, uh, I remember somebody from APCO, they, they texted me a couple of weeks beforehand and go, hey, if we were still going to have the conference, would you go? I'm like, I'm still going. So yeah, yeah I would have went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got that I mean, survey. I understand and... why we did that. Yeah. That's. I do. Right? So, I so that's, that. that's, a, that's a, that's a. It's a great story um, that I just thought was really important to share, but there's other things that I definitely want to talk to you about, um, you know, switching gears to kind of the work mode. It's not just outside that you're saving lives. You're a servant leader in your 911 center. You believe in doing the right thing. Um, You and I met a while back when, you know, I'm trying to get directors to, to believe in what we're doing at rapid SOS. Um, you know, understanding the technology and how we want to help folks. Like I even go back to that day at the pool and I'm thinking to myself, all right, who took that 911 call? Right. And were they trying to find you? Like you said, there's a delay. Well, there's a very high likelihood that they're like, well, we're at the pool. Well, which pool? Right. So do they have the capabilities of finding the caller? And then 
that butterfly effect leading right into back into the 91 center. Think about that dispatcher, right? Getting that 91 call. We're at such and such resort and there's a three-year-old and they're not breathing and they drowned and you know somebody here is doing CPR and they're trying to figure out where they are. We know that game. Like we've, we've played that game for years. So um, as, I'm, as I'm watching Facebook again, I, I see a, a post that you send out first giving kudos to your staff. And I love to see that, right? Because we can say, you can say good job as you walk by your folks, but when you put it out there publicly, like they did an amazing job, I see the post you put out about the storms that came through your area. Uh, was it last week, week before? The days are all running together. Um, but tell me a little bit about the storms that, that came rolling through how long I don't even think you were home 10 minutes and all of this stuff is happening right so give me a little backstory about coming home from vacation on this crazy ride no pun intended from Disney World but tell me tell me about those storms that came through and cut just kidding folks this is where we're going to end part one of episode four um, we will reconvene next week to hear the rest of mark's story about the crazy storms that rolled through their jurisdiction um, some of the technology that they use to benefit their 911 telecommunicators during those storms as well as the importance of being a part of apco and nina and how it is truly beneficial to your career so make sure you come back and join us. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational, and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow my Facebook and LinkedIn pages on scene first with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Thank you heroes from the bottom of my blessed heart. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. For more information on Rapid SOS and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and communities, visit rapidsos.com and tell them Tracy sent you.